Uh, so, today, here in Conversations, we're talking about white privilege, which obviously, as the word got put out, everyone was really hyped to come talk about it because it's so fun to talk about. But, in all seriousness, I think that with, with the topics that, uh, that we've chosen for this series, many of them are, are picked because they are such jarring topics for people to even have a discussion about. And some are very afraid to talk about the things that are even listed on, on the conversations list. But I think it's important for us as Jesus people to be having these kind of conversations in our settings. Um, because we want to be interactive and speak into kind of the culture as it stands. And so it would do us well to talk about it in our spaces with other people who are also Jesus people. And hopefully in that we begin to have more tools and ways to speak um, as whole as we can about these particular things. Um, you want to shut that door back there? They're wanting to get that other class. Uh, okay. They can't come in here. Okay, so the way we do this, we'll have our panel people introduce themselves, what they do here in Nashville, and then also uh, anything else they want to share as a way of introduction. Once they introduce themselves, then we'll start it back over again and they'll kind of share their opening thoughts, perspectives, insights, experiences, whatever they want to share when, it, when they hear this topic of white privilege, what kind of resume comes to mind, what they think about. And then once we hear from them and opening comments, then we'll turn it over to you all to ask questions, to make your own comments and own uh, um, reactions, and then we'll kind of have a conversation, dialogue after that, from that. Sound good? Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll start with you, and then we'll end our intros, and then we'll start opening comments here, and then we'll come back here. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So my name is Sarah Wheeler. Um, I am a SPED teacher with MMPS. I teach at East National Magnet High School, which is a predominantly African-American high school. We're like 98% African-American and then the last two percentages are split like Caucasian and Middle Eastern. Um, what else? Something? I'm also half Hispanic. My mom's Hispanic. My dad is American. Um, sorry? Cool. That's good. Thanks. I'm John Pyle. Um, I am the general manager of our Brentwood, the well coffee house at Brentwood. I also am the director of education there. I've been working there for, um, I guess, since day one. So almost seven years in July. Um, I've kind of worn a whole lot of hats there. Um, it is the whitest industry in the world, I think. You know? We're trying. Just, just Yeah, try, man. Just saying. There you go. <laughs> there is. Oh, uh, there totally is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dude. Give us opening. Thank you. Panel. So I'm white. Ah. Um, I'm white, and I have uh, Patrick texted me and was like, "Hey, do you want to talk on a panel?" And I said, "Sure." What's the topic? 
and then he was like, well, you know, just, you know, white privilege. And um, I was like, oh, I can totally talk about white privilege because I have a lot of it and I use it all the time. Um, just to give you kind of background, um, I am, my whole family is from Nashville. Um, so Nashville is kind of home to me. Um, my great-grandfather lived over off of Calvin Street in East Nashville. Uh, had a house there uh, until the early 90s when he passed away. My grandmother uh, and grandfather had a home over in Madison for a little while and then moved to Bellevue. Um, and then my, my other set of grandparents lived off of Haywood Lane um, over in kind of Antiochish area. Um, for me, as I look back at my whiteness um, and growing up, um, I have to take history into account of all that, and I have to look at how privileged I am as a white person due to the history that, and the abilities that they had that ultimately blessed me uh, coming down the line. So for instance, you know, my great-grandfather bought, bought a house off of Calvin Street, and I want to say in 1941, um, in East Nashville, East Nashville being a prominently white neighborhood at that time, was the nice area of town. Um, and he owned that house until he passed away. My grandparents owned a home um, and owned multiple homes that they ultimately paid off. And I think sometimes what I think back is every time one of them passed away, they were able to leave equity, even though, like, the house on Calvin Street, I think, sold for, like, $50,000 or something like that in 1993, because East Nashville was not what East Nashville is today. Um, but all of that being said, like, they, ha they were able to obtain wealth, and due to the fact of redlining that occurred during the Jim Crow laws and things of that nature, many African Americans... In, in those similar neighborhoods were not able to obtain wealth and were lifelong um, were lifelong uh, renters and, and I think sometimes all of that flows down and trickles down this line of where I sit there and I go even though it might have been you know my family was able to leave five or ten thousand dollars here or five or ten thousand dollars there that trickled down to me, and so that when I was able to go to Lipscomb University, you know, I went to Lipscomb, and I was able to graduate with a small amount of debt, not a very large amount of debt, you know, because I had grandparents who had helped obtain that wealth. And so for me, like, when I look at white privilege, I feel like, yes, there's a physical me walk, you know, I was telling Jess, yesterday we walked down the Hill Center, um, and we went into like the Kendra Scott like jewelry store and then we went into Whole Foods and it was a very white thing for me to do okay <laughs> for lack of a better term and um, and I realized you know as I was thinking about this it was like oh there's you know I have this privilege of me being white being in this presence of in these stores whether it's banks or whether it's you know 
uh, Pottery Barn or whatever, that I don't get looked at the same way as someone who is, you know, African-American. But I think at the same time, I think I have to look at it from a historical, <coughs> historically, my family has been able to pull themselves out because, you know, you know, my my grandmother and grandfather went to Lipscomb University and graduated in 1947. Um, black people weren't allowed to go to Lipscomb in 1947. Um, you know, and so to sit there and see, you know, the women in my family have all gone to like Lipscomb and have had this privilege that have been handed down to them. Um, and I don't know if that's a good opening statement, but that's I feel like white privilege is much deeper than just a, hey, I can walk into a restaurant and not get looked at funny. Okay, thanks. Um, so I am, well, so I'm half, and I consider myself half, but I look white, um, which has always been a struggle. We moved to the United States in 2001, and from that point on, it's been a battle of um, where do I fit in, because uh, I grew up in Guatemala, where my mom is from, or where my family's from, um, and then moved here, and I actually, my dad is a professor, was a professor at Lipscomb, so I went to Lipscomb Academy, so it was like predominantly upper middle class to very wealthy white kids, like I think myself and another girl my grade made up the diversity in the school, basically, um, and my sisters. Uh, so it's a weird topic for me because I don't, I have a lot of white privilege because I look very white, but when I go certain places with my mom, like we're treated very differently or like she'll be having a problem at the grocery store and someone's talking down to her because she has a heavy accent and I'll walk up and all of a sudden that person's demeanor changes on how she responds to my mom. Because when you said that to me, I was like, maybe mom should come talk about the things she's experienced, but she doesn't like to speak in public. So. Um, so I'd kind of seen a little bit at home, but I didn't really notice quite what I was privileged with until I started teaching at East Nashville Magnet High School. Um, I came from Brentwood Middle, and then I did Glendale Elementary, and then moved up to high school. And it was like night and day of what my kids are granted, just from education-wise. So like our own government, like what my kids were provided with at Brentwood Middle, to like what they're provided with at East Nashville High. Um, we're setting our kids up to fail with the platform we're giving them in the high school we're in. And it's a magnet high school, so it's supposed to be one of the top schools in the state. It's not. And um, it's crazy what like we've had to fight for for our kids to have in order to be successful in graduating. Um, like I was have absolutely a covenant group here at uh, Otter Creek and my girls are about to be seniors but I was talking to a couple of them about school and they're like yeah our average for our ACTs are like 29 30 yeah. our average like a good score for one of our kids that we won't make them retake it is 18 and it's like that's the expectation that they have for them and I don't they, I mean, my students would say it's because we're black and, like, this is what they expect of us. But I think it's more so because it's been the constant all along for them. Like, it's, that was the expectation that was set years ago and it's stayed that way. 
um, and I don't see much change in it um, happening in the education system. Um, but yeah, it's a struggle that I've kind of realized the last few years, even just having conversations with my kids on job applications or college applications or what do you do in Friday night? And it's like what I would, my norm, like I don't have to think twice much about what I'm doing. They have to think about every step of what they're doing, especially on like how late I'm coming home and driving or speeding after, you know, 11 p.m. when I'm coming home from the movies or a party or, or whatever. So it's, I become more in tune to, oh, I am very privileged um, because I don't have to think twice about every step that I take. Um, and I see it, the worst I think um, is for my like African-American girls um, who there's just not a lot of expectations there for them. And a lot of them end up pregnant at you know 16 and graduating with one, a kid or two. Um, and it's just, that's been their norm all along. And like I've been, privileged to grow up in a school where like in a family where that wasn't the case in a society where that wasn't the case and we were encouraged to go to school and they're encouraged to start a family young and get married young and uh yeah so I don't know if that no that's good that's good um so I think I want to let me ask one more question from both of you and then we'll turn so be thinking of question comments you want to you want to bring up uh so with this topic Give me from, you know, just from where you sit and what you've seen and experienced, what might be a way that we as Christians interact with such, especially for people who are a part of churches similar to our church, which is a predominantly white church. So what might be a way for us to, when we think about, white privilege and the as it relates to even our city of Nashville, how might a church I'm not saying this is the way, but this is just like a here's a here's a suggestion, here's my thought, my my angle on if I were to give a hey, I think you should do this, or I think you should be more of this and less of this or whatever, however you want to put it. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. It doesn't matter who goes first, who's doing no clue. So I think the problem part of it is, is so much of an internal change in process. Um, like it's a comfort thing. Right. Um, so many of us are comfortable coming to a predominantly white church where the culture is what it is. And like I think that's where it has to start is not having those racial biases um, to where you're comfortable enough with the change and the differences and welcoming not just welcoming that in, but it's more stretching out to those communities without wanting to change them to fit our comfort levels, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying Otter Creek needs to like up and move to like a predominantly African American community or you know Middle Eastern community, but I do think a lot of it is like we stay in our comfort and our norm, and there's no welcoming people in from other communities as much because. We don't know. We don't, we're not even associated with them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we we create walls around ourselves mm -hmm. in a in a what is comfortable state. I think that's one of the things 
some of you guys may know William Jenkins. He has a church here. Um, black man who he and I have had multiple times where we just go out and grab. I'll text him one day and just be like, hey, you pick the place. We're going to go. And I end up at like always end up in North Nashville somewhere at some place, podunk place that has like no title on the door and you walk in and I'm the only white person there. It's always wonderful. And and it is very much a cultural difference changer for me, but I know for me personally, like I have to be willing to do that. You know, I have to be willing to step out of, you know, going into those spaces so that I can get a little bit more comfortable so that I can really start to, I don't know if the words, that's the right word, but embrace, like to embrace just more cultural diversity than what I was growing, I grew up with. Because I grew up, like in all seriousness, I grew up, um, I lived in East Tennessee during like my formative years and, you know, there was one black family that lived anywhere close to me and like I was friends with Johnny. Like, Johnny was awesome, but, like, he was very white. Uh, and so, culturally, I don't have a whole lot of experience in that. But at the same time, like, think about it. It's like I drive down Nolensville Road every single day, you know? And it's like I, I throw out an effort to go, you know, with William to North Nashville or to go experience some other cultures. But... At the same time, I literally drive through another culture oftentimes, um, and I don't do as well of a job in that culture. So it's a very much a stepping out of our comfort zone, like Sarah was saying, is to being able to actually experience different cultures and relish in those cultures of saying, hey, look, yeah, you're different, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong or right or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's weird, right? Like, it's weird to walk into a building this large, and, like, we could probably count on a hand the amount of, like, people of color in this church building. Like, that, for someone of color walking in, that's got to be so weird to, like, no one here looks like me. What am I doing here? Like, you are immediately given the impression that they don't belong because nobody here looks like them. And it's not anything anybody maybe does socially. It's just, like, that's immediately what they're walking into and it worries me like it worries me for our daughter like when we talk about schools it's like I want her to grow up in a very diverse community and we live off Millensville Road and part of the reason that I wanted to move there was because I wanted people that looked different than us uh, around us um, and you know it and that the thing is like that comes with challenges it comes with an unsafe neighborhood and we have stuff happen all the time and canine units walking up and down our street and it's like that's sad it's sad that like in order to get diversity and to be raising a family in a diverse community it comes with the fear of keeping them safe also and like those two should not come hand in hand like you should not walk down 12 south and only see you know white people walking up and down the street like it should be open and accessible to everyone but i think even those that can't afford to live there that are of color will choose not to because again it's like I don't belong here I don't look like anybody here and we all want to belong and we all want to fit into those groups of people where we feel safe and comfortable and can relate and uh, 
like I think that was a big struggle for my mom growing like we grew up in Brentwood and she was like nobody here is Hispanic and it's a cultural change also like it's it's a complete it's not just oh they don't look like me or speak my language it's they don't eat the same food and they don't hang out on the front porch like we do or on the back porch. you know it's like all these different norms they don't even talk to their neighbors kind of thing um that it's like yeah we have these pockets of like different communities but they don't merge well together even in our community it's like the majority is latino or like blue collar and they do not mesh well together for whatever reason okay all right uh comments perspectives questions we have out there this is where you won't get to talk yeah yeah up in there um i'm a, I'm a teacher at a school off of no one's over there and i don't know if your school is similar but i find that there's a, a huge difference in the teacher population compared to the student population mm -hmm. and there are a lot of moments where I feel like uh, awkward or uncertain of how to interact with students because I'm a white person in the position of power in the room and they're all not and I'm trying to speak with them and open it up to them but I'm also a teacher trying to teach them and I was wondering if you can speak towards white privilege that you see in uh, others or yourself at your school in those positions and if, like, what that's like. Yeah. Um, so, luckily I teach at a high school, so my kids are very verbal about things that bother them or that they disagree on or whatever. So my perspective coming into it when I started teaching there was like, I'm going to treat you like I do any kid kind of thing because I am your teacher, so in a, in a sense, like, I am in charge here. Um, and I'm also a girl and small. So like most of my kids are like three times taller than I am. So I already have to like exude this like dominance just because I need control in my classroom. Um, so that kind of came easier for me a little bit mainly because for that reason of like, okay, I'm a, I'm a small girl here trying to tell these like six, five, 200 pound men like not to throw a chair across the room, you know, whatever. Um, I'm in special ed too, so that's not like a norm in our school, it's just sometimes it's a norm in my classroom. Um, anyway, so yes, but I feel like my kids would almost be more offended if I was trying to walk on eggshells around them because of their race than just like being like, no, I'm treating you like I'm treating everybody else. And I, sometimes it does get thrown at me. Like if a kid gets frustrated, like the race card will get thrown at me. And that's where like the fact that I am half Hispanic does benefit because it's like, you can't talk about race to me. Like I also, I'm also like fall under that category technically kind of thing. Um, but yeah, my kids are very good at being like, yeah, you can't say that or that's offensive because of this reason. Um, which is, I think, our school was a Paeta school, which means that we would have um, like circle conversations. And so a topic would get brought up and we'd all discuss it. So they've grown up in this culture of being able to express what they're thinking or feeling. Um, and most of the time it's in a respectful way. Um, but yeah, it is an awkward thing to come into of like, 
you know, you're constantly being told what to do by predominantly white people. Um, but I think that's where it's like, I there, there's also that element of white male privilege as opposed to like, or just male privilege as opposed to like women in general, which is a whole different conversation. But I've kind of like, as a woman, always come into like, feel like I have to defend myself or show myself. Um, and that's kind of always been the case where I don't, I don't know, I'm not a guy. So I don't know if that's like a norm for guys where they don't feel that. But as a woman, like I've always felt like I have to um, prove myself. It also comes with like me being short. So I'm always like, <laughs> and like I'm 32 and people always think that I'm like 18. So I've grown up having to constantly be like, uh, no, I'm a grown woman and you can't talk to me like I'm a child. So part of me has already always had that struggle of like, I have a child, I'm an <laughs> <Yeah>. adult. <laughs> yeah. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I have yeah. papers, so Yes. So yeah. I don't know if that answers your question at all. That's good. What else? What other comments? I think one of the, the kind of just one of the things tagged into kind of some of that is like, I think there's a big fear amongst white people to that they're going to say something that hurts somebody's feelings or they're going to say something that's not okay. And I think that's where like a relationship has to form and you have to just sit there and say, hey, I'm going to say something that will be offensive at some point. Like, you just got to tell me that it's offensive, you know, and, and explain to me why, you know, because, like, you can't just, you know, if, like, Jess and I went to Thailand a few years ago, it's like, in Thailand, their culture is so different because of, like, the Buddhist impact, like, Buddhism and everything. It's like, you're going to do something that's offensive, like, you just are, and they have to either kind of look at you and go, hey, that's, we're not going to do that. You know, you need to take off your shoes in this instance, or you need to, you know, wear pants in this instance. Um, like, they're going to tell you. And if we're scared to not put ourselves in a position because we're scared we're going to offend somebody and we haven't created a relationship with someone who's willing to say, hey, look, maybe you shouldn't say that. You know, that's a really, you know, that's a really touchy thing, you know. Yeah. Um, so, it's good. Yeah. I want to, I, I, I like that because I, one of the things I was thinking when you asked kind of the, where is then the jumping point? Um, and I, I think some of that is, is it's, you know, in the admission um, from like a, especially like from a white male's perspective and trying to like navigate like now raising a daughter and like, you know, coming into a family with such a different background than, you know, what I grew up in, which was just, you know, farm town rural south alabama um a is like it just kind of admitting where we are and that it is a thing and and i think a lot of times we're and you use the word fear the fear side from it comes from this idea of wanting to admit that there's a problem because a lot of times we're told that a problem has to be blamed on someone and it's I think a lot of times we're all, I mean, as a white man, so coming from the white privilege and also there's the man privilege, it, it's something that it's like, 
how do I apologize for something that I can't, like, I, I didn't do this. I didn't choose this. I didn't, like, like yeah. life chose for me to be white and a man. So I think a lot of times when it comes to, like, white privilege, we get so bogged down in trying to figure out a way to apologize as opposed to, like, starting the conversation. And so, and so like, again, we, we sit there and we're like, I don't know what to say or I don't know what to do and I don't want to be offensive, but at the same time I have this weird feeling of, like, guilt. Why do I feel guilty for something I didn't have a choice in? As opposed to just kind of saying, hey, this exists and, and we can admit that it exists. Um, and and then that starts to lead to the conversations of like, what are the things that you know? What are the things that you find um, offensive from a cultural standpoint to you know um, white people culture um, to you know growing up in Brentwood versus growing up in Woodvine? Um, how are how are we you know how are we experiencing life the same? And how are we experiencing life differently? And where's like where's common ground that we can kind of meet on to kind of see each other's experiences? But I, I do think there's such a like fear is such a factor in this conversation never going much further than yeah yeah white white privilege is real, but you know it's like that's kind of where it like tails off. Yeah, well, and, and to be honest, I think for a lot of folks. The way that especially just privilege works in general is I'm looking at where I stand and I don't feel very privileged compared to a person that I see that has got more than I do, right? So it's like I think, oh, I don't have any privilege. I'm just like a normal person. I have, look at my, look at it because you're comparing yourself to someone that's ahead of you, not someone who's behind you. Usually we're comparing to someone who has more money than me, who had a better thing than I, you're always looking that way and not like, oh, but I am way more privileged than like all of these other people. I should probably recognize that. I don't think privilege yeah. has the connotation in this sense of white people didn't work hard to get where they are either, right? So I think that's a, a bad correlation mm -hmm. with just white privilege in general. It's not an assumption that just because you're white, you get things handed to you, right? I think white people work really hard to any race. doesn't matter what color you are. You work hard to get where you are. I think it's the subconscious component of what white privilege means in our society that benefits people of white color. That's good. What else? I have more time to mix up here. Any other questions, comments? I mean, I just think, I think, you know, back to what you said, it, it is so much about just asking. Like, I will flat out just ask my, my principal or any of my kids, like, hey, is this offensive? And, and it's like part of it, part of me is like ashamed that I have to even ask the question. But I also, like, coming to the United States, there were a lot of stereotypes that I didn't know, like I was unaware of. Um, that I learned in high school. Um, so it was like, I was like starting from scratch. So, but 
I was really intimidated at times to ask even like some of my kids' parents these questions, but like very quickly there was an appreciation for like, oh, no, I'd rather you want to know than not know and assume, and then us just live with this awkward like wobble, like it's like a pony wall between us where I have like one foot in your world, but not all the way kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and it is, it's so awkward and uncomfortable to ask some of the questions or just be like, even like, I'm doing a lesson on this, like what would be the best way to approach it and what angle to come in from? Um, and just asking, like, it, you look dumb. You look dumb for not knowing and it's silly that you have to ask, but at the same time, it's like, I wanna know and I wanna relate and I want to fit into your world um, and understand. So I'm gonna ask, you know, the questions. Well, and I even say that, like, from what I've experienced, genuine curiosity about something yeah. is never received unkindly. Okay. Like if you are genuinely like, I'm genuinely curious, versus like, there's a way for people to ask a question to you and you're like, you're not actually curious, you're you're trying to like get a dig in. Push a right, push a button, versus like, this person literally has no idea and they just want to know. Being naive is possible. Right, it is. It becomes <laughs> this very pop, especially if you, if you're in this place of just like, I'm genuine and I'm like, I'm really trying to be good in this space and at this thing, and people are like, oh, well, let me tell you. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's, that's a great point, yeah. Yeah, authenticity is, I feel like, again, kind of where that has to start. Like, Otter Creek doesn't, there's, there's no change. Of course, Otter Creek can go and pick a community, whether it's, Latino or African American and, and like be a part of that community and do something so that we all here so that the predominantly white church feels good about that we're doing something in you know wherever um, and, and I think you know that's where you have to then say okay how do we authentically participate and, and, and kind of have this idea of you know I, without not being true to themselves, like Otter Creek is in Brentwood, Tennessee. Of course, it's going to be predominantly a white church. That's the community that it's in. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have the conversation or authentically seek out ways in which we participate in something that's greater than ourselves um, or the community that we find ourselves in. Um, and so I think, you know, that's where, like you, that being genuine, being authentic. Um, because I, I go back to Dave Chappelle once said, like, you know, he, he was like, you know, you have two different types of racists, the racists who say that they're racist and then the racists who have no idea they're racist, because they'll tell you exactly how many number of people of color you're friends with. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm friends with, I'm friends with two, two Latinos. And it's like, okay, well, that's good for you, you know, yeah, right, right, so we're counting now. Um, and it's like that unauthentic, like, you know, miseducated way of going about trying to feel good. Um, and, and so I think that's where, you know, that that has to kind of start. Jess, are you going to say something? Do you have a... No, I was just going to build on, I think, Sarah covered it. It was more around educating ourselves. I think we, the question you asked earlier about, like, as Christians, what can we do? And I think yeah. education educating ourselves and then along with that building on Sarah is more like 
knowing when to speak up and when not to, right? So when is, as a white person, when is it my turn to speak up and not talk over somebody else of color and diminish their experiences? Again, kind of combining what Lance was also saying around it's acknowledging that everybody has worked hard, everybody has a journey, everybody has a story, and it's not just because you're of a certain color. And so I think there's a Christians, we can do a lot to kind of, kind of combat is the right word, what society has portrayed and has put out there in front of us to dictate what white privilege is versus just asking and saying, well, wait, what is, wait a second. History says this, but we live in today. Like, why today? Da, 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 right? That's good. Final, anybody have a final comment or question out there? Okay, I want to say kind of closing remarks, thoughts, wisdom. You both, can, you both have a chance there. You can say anything you want to say. You can do like a shout out, like this is kind of one of those radio stations. Just shout out to your people. I guess mine's like an open-ended question, but... So we talk about, as a church, what do we do, or whatever, and thinking about specifically the African-American community. Like, I I don't know if any of y'all have ever been to, like, a predominantly black church, but it is a whole different world. Like, I, my kids, like, are on the church dance team, and, like, it's insane. Yeah. And I'm like, part of me is like, when we say, like, what do we do as a church, my mind immediately goes to, like, recruitment for some reason like how do we get people of color to come up and it's like I don't know why would you want to <laughs> like that's what you get to worship with every day and then it's like I mean and granted we love Water Creek because we're here but it is like yeah. it's a whole different world why would you come here to church when that's what you grew up with and like that's your norm what I would say even then it's like we have to look at especially when it comes to like Af- I mean, African Americans read scripture differently than I do like and I don't want to put words in the Patrick's mouth because you're the token black person in the room but African Americans they read like Jesus' return as being freedom where I read baptism as freedom and you know, my faith conversion, like I am already in heaven here because of this oppression that they've had. Um, and so like, that's why there's a celebration and that is why this, I, I love black churches because of that, because they, they see it differently. And so like, we also have to understand that from a cultural standpoint within, you know, black Christians and white Christians that we just read scripture and we see it through a different lens. Um, Some for the positive and probably some for the negative, you know, at the same time. I would love to have step teams because it's awesome. But, I don't know. Give our panel a round of applause. Um, Yeah, I think that's a great word in saying Research, read. There's so much out there. I mean, if you if you never just simply Google searched it and just looked at different. I, mean, I think it's always good, and be, especially researching and and exploring the things that kind of 
make you uncomfortable and scared to even think about and talk about, that those are the kind of directions mm -hmm. we throw ourselves into, which is how do I read and, and get more knowledge or attempt to have some more understanding about other people's perspectives. But uh, if it, good, really good read, Austin Channing Brown's mm -hmm. uh, her book was a just read any of her yeah any of her stuff, but, but yeah, there's a, book uh, a, a book that she has something. Being a black woman in a world made for whiteness, yep. I think is what it's called, and it's phenomenal. It's very good. Phenomenal read. Uh, grab a donut on the way out for the middle schoolers. Eat them all in record time. And then also come back next week, we'll have a conversation about hell, which who doesn't love talking about that? <laughs> what was and, that? And we have only a few more. We have hell and then... Conversations about masculinity, femininity, gender roles, and then religious pluralism. So, gender roles. Gender roles. Austin. Austin Channing Brown. Have a good one. Thanks.